0: we really focused on three different areas, one-to-one connections, some kind of marketplace for exhibitors, whether it was transactional or not, but being able to showcase their goods and services, and then the educational piece, and then trying to improve those elements through time while also offering something experiential to keep people connected and engaged. It also forced us to be more entrepreneurial. Mm. A lot of times big corporations are not.
1: Nope.
0: (laughs) Definitely had to think fast and we definitely had to take a lot more risks and not be afraid to fail. So I think that was really, really important. We try to encourage that on our team. If we try something new and it doesn't work, that's absolutely okay. As long as you learn from that and improve the next time, then that's completely okay. And sometimes at a big company too, there's not that culture of trying new things and that it's okay to fail. Because if you fail and you learn from it, that could be the the next greatest big success. So really, really important from a cultural perspective to think more entrepreneurial, to take more risks, and then to celebrate those successes and those failures. More importantly, the failures.
1: Welcome to the Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us and please subscribe to the show so you hear all about our upcoming episodes and you can enter in our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is a return guest, and that is Mark Simon, who is the event vice president for PGA Golf Exhibitions, which is part of Reed Exhibitions, who are a leading global B2B event organizer. So I've known Mark for a couple of years. Like I said, we had him on a few years ago. I figured let's let's get Mark back on for the reason that the last 16 months or so with a little thing called COVID has affected their business model dramatically. And I wanted to give Mark some space, come up for air, because I know it's been bonkers for them and anxiety riddled and all the things across the spectrum. So I'm glad Mark is <laughs> finally able to spend some time today and, and tell us what's been going on for the last 16 months. So, hey, Mark, welcome back to the ModGolf podcast. Good to see you.
0: Colin, thanks so much for having me back again. And boy, does that seem, seems like more than two years ago that we connected <laughs> back Ugh. in 2019. And boy, have things uh, changed since then.
1: Wow, because I know when, uh, I've had the pleasure uh, of being invited as part of your educational series to speak at previous PGA shows. And 2019 was the last time I didn't have the chance to go to 2020. But January of 2020, business as usual. You're in Orlando, everything's going great. And then less than two months later, literally a month and change, COVID hit with some losses down So let's yeah. start there, Mark. Tell us about the first month. What was March of 2020 like for you and your team at the organization?
0: Yeah, I mean, those memories are still so vivid for me, because as you know, and as you just kind of restated, we had a really successful 2020 PGA merchandise show, an amazing show, one of our best ever in terms of PGA professional, VIP buyer, Just all facets, all metrics you can measure an event by. So we were coming off the high of the event. And I remember distinctly on the last day of the show, actually, I think I was checking CNN just for some quick news updates and had read a little bit about what was going on in China. Didn't really give it much of a thought, but this was back in January and I'm like, Good To be aware of what's going on, but I'm sure that's not going to really no, <laughs> affect be, too many It'll be contained, over here in the no problem. It'll
1: never make it over here.
0: And very soon thereafter, you know, things started to kind of steamroll. I even remember one of our sons was invited to a Model UN event a couple towns nearby, and there were a couple students from China, and one of them experienced flu symptoms. This was, I think, in early February, and they had a quarantine and cut that short. Again, didn't think too much of it. This was only because they were from China at that point, but that was my first inkling that this could be a lot more serious. Right. <laughs> Then fast forward to March, yeah, I think we can all remember Rudy Gobert and the Utah Jazz and the NCAA tournament being canceled. Right, right. Remember the last day in the office that we had there in March and, and us kind of watching. I think we had CNBC on and the ticker and the stock market plummeting. I had just been to a UConn basketball game, actually, probably about a week before. In two days, I I really, you know, I like to tie everything back to sports. I really think sports, again, the Utah Jazz game and then the NCAA and March Madness being canceled was really the blow where everybody woke up and was like, oh my gosh, what are we getting into? Sporting events, schools, universities, and we're in the face-to-face business, live events. Live events I think were impacted more than anything. So we went from coming off a couple of really successful shows in January and February of, of 2020 to very, very quickly having to first cancel our initial shows and then very, very quickly thereafter Figure out our office, figure out how people were going to work, and then figure out how we were going to continue to bring industries together. Because so again, we not only run shows in golf, as you know, but we have the leading events in many, many different industries, mm-hmm. and My specialty I grew up in golf. That's my background. But we had other events that were scheduled for March, for April, for May. Those teams really had to quickly turn on a dime, figure out, can we have the event? Just remember at that point, people didn't know whether you could have events, couldn't very quickly came to the realization that it wasn't safe to have events back then at that point so when you cancel an event, do you reschedule it for later in the year? Or do you schedule it for the next year? Like all of those scheduling decisions combined with the industry was relying on this event. So how can we still help to bring the industries together? So very quickly, we had to figure out from a digital and virtual perspective, how can we try as best as we can to replicate those things that people so appreciate on a face to face level? Yeah. Networking opportunities, the meetings with exhibitors, testing products, the educational opportunities. The experiential piece of just being in person, live at an event. How do you replicate that in the virtual world? And as you can imagine through time, you know, there are some things that we were able to replicate very well, other things that you just can't replace the face to face. So we had a, a lot of decisions that we had to make early and then a lot of brainstorming, talking to our customers, working with venues, working with the industries that we serve as to how best help that industry navigate through the very tough times that they were having. And each industry had to experience things differently. We know full well how golf initially had, had a shutdown, but then in most places, it was actually a boon for the industry, mm-hmm. So, but not necessarily for live events. So we can talk more about that, but those first couple months, just a whirlwind without really having a playbook or a guidebook. How do we try to best serve our industries and help our people? So while we're trying to serve our industries and reschedule events and put events on and figure out the whole digital virtual side of things... How can we at the same time make sure our employees stay safe, are able to work remotely, (laughs) all of those things. So it was a crazy first couple months, that's for sure.
1: I bet. So you you had a lot of moving parts. And I'm sure you experienced this just like education has had to do, going remotely and virtually, pretty much every industry. But I think yourself and education or events and education are kind of two of the ones so acutely impacted. I had a guest on a while ago, right after COVID hit. And he made an interesting comment and saying, you know, we weren't putting a lot of practices in ourselves of being able to work remotely or even automate certain pieces. And it's one of those things we're looking Oh, We'll do that in a year. We'll do it in three or five. That's part of our five year plan. And he said it, it was as if we were all put in a time machine and fired into the future into 2030, 10 years ahead, whether we like it or not. And this is the way it is. And that was within a month. And this is the new reality of how we have to do things. If we don't, we're going to die
0: for yeah, you. Like- luckily, you know, from from our original conversations, gone we had actually even before 2019, we were doing a lot to extend the life of the show beyond the, the two weeks before the show and the week after things such as the PGA Show Insider and communications year round video storytelling. So exhibitors could share their stories with attendees throughout the year. But again, on a very different level, just keeping the show kind of top of mind and fresh. Post 2020 and as we kind of morphed into really innovating and doing things differently, we had to completely reinvent what we were doing, even from a digital and even from the, the minor things that we were doing to really think about what would be most effective again. And it could be a marketplace. It could be education. Like you said, it could be sharing stories. How do we in those industries we serve best try to help to support those industries? You know, what we were doing initially then would change now that we're 16 months later. I think in those first couple months, there was one approach that we had, and then it was just continual learning from each event that we had on how do we do things better. Luckily, Reed Exhibitions has a global scale. So we had shows around the world where we can take what worked, what didn't work, try to learn from it and just improve from there.
1: On that note, that's a great segue into my next question. Did you find the fact that all these different event industry sectors that Reed is involved with? The flow of information between the teams, I'm pre-COVID it was more siloed, you kind of worked in your own area. Was the culture that enhanced to share information, lessons learned from events so everybody didn't have to start from zero to learn the hard way of what doesn't work and, and yeah, then what does? So let's talk about that. Was there a cultural shift within Reed exhibitions that I made mean, it more right. fluid?
0: Best, I mean, best practice sharing was always a key part of our culture pre-COVID. So again, with the, the worldwide network that we have, there was always really good info sharing. But I think post-COVID, it made info sharing a lot easier. Right. <laughs> and I think we'll credit whether it's Zoom, MS Teams or whatever platform you use, WebEx, whatever, Getting the teams really comfortable and up to speed, you remember back in those early days, very few people had any familiarity with Zoom, Microsoft Teams, and getting the teams being able to function remotely and communicate effectively digitally enabled much quicker and much faster best practice sharing. So where we might get an update in a meeting every month, if something happens in Brazil that worked really, really well, that information could be shared in 24 hours.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember, I think it was 2018, where my company that I'm a partner at with Reviver, we did some consulting work in collaboration with Reed. I remember that I sent you and Elizabeth Reed, who was with the company at the time and said, Oh, we'll send you a Zoom link here. We'll jump on a, on a meeting because we're in Vancouver. Of course, you're in Connecticut. I think both of you was like, what's Zoom? <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. what, what, what is this? So it was like starting at zero, where of course, now everybody knows Zoom is almost a verb now with how, yeah. how far it's come. So hey, I want, I want to focus on lessons learned in those first events you did. So of course we've got January 2020 PGA show business as usual COVID hits in March and then as you have in every August first second week in August you have your Las Vegas PGA show which of course is a smaller show but a quarter a third of the size focusing more on fashion and apparel how did you frame that? Take that as an experiment to try different things, take what you've learned from your customer feedback. So tell us about that. I assume that was your first real story. Yeah, so kind of rewinding, a, yeah.
0: even though these large events, the NCAA March Madness, other large events were canceled in March and April, you probably remember that people didn't know how long this was going to last. There were people who still were thinking things would get back to normal yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. in the summer or in the fall there were some really tough decisions and discussions about whether or not the Vegas show would actually happen in person. So we were still planning for an in-person event as we worked our way through, trying to remember into April and May. But then I think it became pretty obvious just from our customer feedback from what was going on in the world that it didn't make sense to have the event. At that point, we knew that we had to find a way to kind of connect exhibitors and attendees We're in the business of building businesses. And uh, one of the most efficient ways we do that is making it very easy for our exhibitors to connect with PGA pros and buyers and attendees in a face-to-face environment. So the early challenges were how do we replicate that in a digital and virtual environment. And a lot of those early events did not have a lot of success doing that. And I think we're still working through that as we speak today. I think where we did find a lot of success early on was the education component. You probably remember, you know, webinars became all the rage and and still are in some places. Currently there's, there's some webinar fatigue going on out there, but I think the education piece and being able to replicate that ed- education virtually was really, really important, combined with just trying to help the industry educating people on what was going on in the industry in COVID, educating people and providing the education that we would have in person at Las Vegas virtually. What we found initially was that that was a lot easier to replicate than either a marketplace or the direct face-to-face meeting setup that we would have in an on-site experience. So we had a lot of early success with a number of our shows in terms of education and specifically with the PGA show and having some, I would say, monthly webinars leading up to the Vegas event and then taking all the education that would take place at the event and replicating that online. And we Mm -hmm. had really great early support. I think we actually had more PGA professionals participate in the education virtually than attended in person in the August 19 event, the last one that took place. So we were really pleased with the support from PGA professionals and the content that we provided at that time.
1: So for the Las Vegas show in 2020, did you have certain benchmarks or criteria, what you would consider a success bar for certain metrics, or did you just put it out there and see what happened and and use that as then your benchmark to move forward then for January of 2021 for the big show in Orlando?
0: Again, as we mentioned, there was no playbook, no guidebook, no previous <laughs> history. So we thought if we can reach more people virtually and then offer that content on demand, that would be a big win on yeah. the education side. And we were able to do that. And we found that going forward, that was a really easy way to reach a lot of people. And you know, as we get more into our plans for the 22 merchandise show and some of the, the virtual learnings, I'm really fast forwarding there, but we'll talk about that at the end. We learned some really important things that are going to help enhance what we're doing this year going into 2022. But again, continuing on the evolution from 21, again, we came off the Vegas show feeling, uh, I would say, really positive about the education, the connections that we made. I don't think we made a lot of inroads in terms of helping to facilitate actual exhibitor attendee meetings. So that was going to be our focus. And actually, at that point, I think most of the industry thought we'd be getting together, actually, (laughs) in January of 2021. So there was that continual, are we able to have an event? And what does the planning look like? We actually, at one point, this is a good story, we had a tree of different pathways that could take place, whether it's having an in-person show on one extreme to an all-virtual event on the other, and then many, many different pathways in between. At one point, we had 30 different trees we were planning for, and we ended on the one extreme of, I never thought, having been with the show for 20 years... 20 years plus, actually, and and many people who have been going to the show much longer. If you had told me, even after COVID started in in the spring of 2020, that we would not have an in person merchandise show in 2021, I would have said, You're crazy. Yeah. (laughs) We're having the show.
1: Yeah. But here we are. Here we are. Yeah.
0: and, And I think it was a great discussion in terms of planning and talking through various scenarios, collaborating with the team, listening to our customers, working with the venues. And at one point, we were thinking, Could we really expand outdoor events? Maybe there was a little more traction and an outdoor event could work well. So could we really blow out demo day as one option and have that for one year replicate or replace what was going on in the show? But there were way too many challenges with that as well. And and our customers, every decision you have to make, it has to be based on customer feedback. Mm -hmm. It was overwhelming, (laughs) became not a decision because it was the right thing to do for 2021. And we had a really, really successful virtual event. We could talk yeah. more about that. Well.
1: well, yeah, we, we certainly want to move, move forward to that in, in a minute. So one thing I just want to focus on is you are in the business of engagement, relationships, and connectivity. Because I've been to the PGA show many times. And for people that haven't been, if they're not PGA professionals or in the industry, it, the one in Orlando is bonkers. It is the mecca. Over, well, you know the numbers. Over 40,000 people descend upon Orlando for the week, the pre-show Demo Day, and then, of course, the show that runs Wednesday to Friday, then? Yeah, too, I
0: mean, when you count Demo Day Tuesday for, to Friday, it really is, I mean, it's the worldwide gathering place for the golf industry.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then, where of course, where a lot of the business gets done, and that's, of course, in the evenings at all the other events <laughs> that happen late into the night. So, with that, how did you measure engagement or get the feedback of saying people, our users, our patrons, our attendees need to increase engagement. So how do you measure that and how have you found or what platforms or techniques as you keep moving forward that let's say you learn from the 2020 Las Vegas show that then you apply to add fuel to the fire to increase engagement even more so for January of this year in Orlando?
0: You know, I'll talk a little bit about going back to kind of the Reed Exhibitions global scale. Yep. We had the advantage of, again, not being a standalone show, but a show amongst 400 shows worldwide right. and having learnings from those shows around the world. So we were able to vet, test many different platforms, trial which ones worked well, and take those learnings, as we mentioned before, and then as each show progressed, improve and test and trial. Luckily, we were able to benefit from from a lot of those learnings and we felt that as each event happened around the world, the product got better. But again, there, there were some things you could replicate really, really, really well, and some things that are a lot more difficult. A couple of examples on other events. We had a concert at our jewelry event where we brought in a, an entertainment act and had everybody join virtually. We tried yeah. networking receptions with you know happy hours and, and things like that. So we tried a lot of different things to try to replicate that experiential connection. And some some things worked. But we really found that the most effective virtual entities that we could put together were the educational content and the one-to-one meetings where you connected a buyer and seller together. From the marketplace perspective, we had some shows that trying to replicate the marketplace and created a transactional element to the event. We had varying degrees of success. We think that's important, but also having a, what we would call an area for exhibitors to showcase their products and their services and their people was also important we really focus on three different areas. The one-to-one connections, some kind of marketplace for exhibitors, whether it was transactional or not, but being able to showcase their goods and services, and then the educational piece, and then trying to improve those elements through time while also offering something experiential to keep people connected and engaged.
1: Right, right. What I love about what you're telling me here is- it sounds like the company went back to your roots early days as an early growth company of having to be, these terms are used all the time of being kind of agile and nimble, but that's what you you had to be and, and really listen to your customers, not that you never did, but even more than ever to get these insights, to find out what it is that they wanted to unlock the value. It's all about value. So with the value piece, I'm curious to know what you can tell us without giving us any numbers here. Your revenue model and kind of the spreadsheet you put together was completely changed in the sense of, of your pricing model model for everybody as a b2b for all of the vendors and the companies that would be showing there for people and the attendees and what they would pay at the different levels and then i guess also for before your cost structure also i guess in some cases it's with orlando you don't have to rent out the convention center which i just imagine is a, a massive expense so tell us a little bit about that is how your whole business model and your revenue model had changed and how you figured out the or continue to figure out what the pricing model for all this is
0: So, yeah, I mean, first to your your first point, I mean, I think the only other thing that I wanted to add was it also forced us to be more entrepreneurial. Mm. A lot of times big corporations are not.
1: Nope. (laughs) We
0: definitely had to think fast and we definitely had to take a lot more risks and not be afraid to fail. So I think that was really, really important. We try to encourage that on our team. If we try something new and it doesn't work, that's absolutely okay. As long as you learn from that and improve the next time, then that's completely okay. And sometimes at a big company too, there's not that culture of trying new things. And that it's okay to fail because if you fail and you learn from it, that could be the, the next greatest big success. So really, really important from a cultural perspective to think more entrepreneurial, to take more risks, and then to celebrate those successes and those failures. More importantly, the failures, I think. So mm-hmm. I, I, I do want to put that point out there. I think that was really, really important. I'm glad you did. I think from yeah. a cultural perspective, that's really critical from a business model without getting too much into specifics we had to completely reinvent our pricing structure yeah, and the bet. packages that we offer and try to build them value based packaging right. we had to try to put together packages that made sense for our customers and again now I'm fast forwarding a little bit going into the virtual event for Orlando you know there became a certain point in October or November where it was looking very likely that we would not be able to have an in person event yeah. so you know we had talked about those various pathways Luckily, we had worked through and took a very, very detailed approach as to each pathway so that whichever one we felt, and again, ultimately, it wasn't 30 pathways. It was probably four or five that were the most viable. I mean, we literally had to plan for five different events in the detail that we would normally plan for one. So we had talked about, before we even started this recording, the stress and the anxiety, really trying to take care of your people. It's tough enough to plan for one event. When you're planning for five and four of them don't have a playbook that you've ever had before... That is very trying and very stressful on the team. So yes, to your point, we had to completely reinvent our pricing structure. We also not having the venue and some of the costs there, there were some savings on the expense side, but had to completely rewrite the playbook for what ultimately became an all virtual event. And again, without getting into specifics, a lot of learnings there on how we can enhance, morph, improve. Now that we're heading into a physical event in 2022 and take those components of the virtual event that worked well offer them to our exhibitors and or attendees where it makes sense to only enhance their experience going forward as we work toward 2022 but we literally had to completely come up with an absolutely new model pricing structure all of that combined with all of these multiple event planning scenarios so as you can imagine (laughs) De-stressing and allowing our employees time to take care of themselves was a really, really critical piece that I think helped get us through 2020 and 2021 <laughs> as well. Yeah. Golf was one component of that.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Encouraging and... the
0: team to get out there and play.
1: Which... Uh, uh, absolutely. So, so not only do you have to transform your service offering, your product offering, and also your business model, as we talked about. Yeah, that other little layer too is you had to completely transform your workplace, I've worked with your teams, I've been there in Connecticut in person, and it is very hands-on, like you are collaborating. And as we know, in design and creation, being next to each other in groups is the best way to do it and, and the most efficient way to do it. And I just imagine that must have not been easy also, the fact you're all doing this remotely. You're trying to collaborate and communicate and move things forward as quickly as possible. So that must have been an incredible challenge for your team also
0: yeah i mean i feel in some ways we've gotten even closer just through the shared experience of everything that we went through ms teams which we use for the most part um, has been invaluable and a great way to keep our teams connected we're in the face-to-face business not being able to connect face-to-face as a group a zoom call and an ms teams meeting very effective but it's not the same so that was one of the biggest challenges and i think having more frequent communication allowing time for fun things. Like we had a pet show, for example, at one point on MS Teams where we had each person on our team showcase their pets during the calls and tell everybody a little bit about the background. Just stupid, fun things like that, but that actually kept everybody kind of stress-free. You have to laugh. Sometimes we would even share, what was the biggest mistake of the week? And then do a toast to it, you know, just to keep (laughs) things fun. Trivia, happy hours, um, sharing the story of your latest golf round, all those things that got the focus off of work to keep the stress levels low. But I felt that through all of that, our teams were able to actually become much closer. And now that our offices are starting to somewhat reopen and, and I don't think we'll go back. We won't go back, it looks like, to kind of five days a week in the office. And you've heard varying companies having different approaches. I think a mm-hmm. hybrid model where there's more remote work, but also time in the office, Because so you need that face-to-face connection with the team. We miss the, the pop-in meeting, the bathroom meeting, A lot of times, those pop-in meetings are where a lot of the work gets done or a lot of the decisions are made. So that's been really, really tough to replicate. And now that we're going back into the office on a limited basis, you can have more of that. So I think kind of take the best of both worlds.
1: Yes, having those accidental conversational collisions where things just come together and those are kind of spontaneous and serendipitous and you never know when those are going to happen. But it, it does please me to hear that ironic delight of the fact you were physically apart. You now have actually all grown closer together. That's a great thing. And not all companies have had that. And it sounds like that's been part of the cultural DNA that you've really amplified. And it does start at the top. You can't just graph that on the side or kind of make it up later. That's that's a testament to the company.
0: Yeah. And we're so passionate. uh, Congrats on that. Yeah. No, appreciate that. I mean, our team is passionate about the golf industry. That's one of the things. I mean, we're here to serve the industry. I think when you kind of combine the shared experiences of everything that we've been through and the fact that the majority of the team are really passionate about their work and about the industry and about helping the industry. And we really feel that we play such an essential role in helping PGA professionals, helping exhibitors, helping to bring them together. I felt even more so in a very difficult year initially for the golf industry. And then with all of the positives that have come out from it, we're uniquely suited as we've emerged from the pandemic come back in 2022, and then continue the industry's growth. I think we're really well suited to help the industry continue to grow. And I'm really proud of all of the allied associations and how the industry has really come together to make the game more inclusive, to grow the game. And I think the industry has a really unique opportunity to grow significantly moving forward.
1: Uh, I totally agree with that. And so I do want to talk as we spend the last couple of minutes here, Mark, of what's going to come up in, well, even in, in Las Vegas, that's coming up when we're recording this conversation a couple of weeks from now. Hopefully we'll get this episode out beforehand, but it may be a couple of weeks after. So I do want to talk about that. And then also looking forward to 2022 in January in Orlando, because it seems, as we talked about earlier before we started recording this, this pent up demand that people have to get together. And it's kind of like we've been holding the uh, the garden hose for the last 18 months and you're going to let it go and kablam and everybody wants to travel. Everybody wants to do all the things they did and kind of make up for 18 months right away. So I, I also want to talk about this. It's exciting because I'm sure that you see the potential now that golf is on the upswing, rounds played over the last two years has been up. That, of course, translates into equipment sales being up, so even more robust opportunities with all of those companies that show in Orlando. So I'd like to hear where you're thinking that's going to be going because I've also heard this business-wise, and I believe this, is saying, well, anytime there's a recession or even the other pandemic 100 years ago, the second half of that decade was absolutely off the charts. It's like you couldn't make things happen during that time. That's on you then. So it's, so we have this massive opportunity in the golf industry then to really make some hay and push forward in innovation over the next, uh, well, really the rest of this decade. Got to rewind it a bit here. So first talk about what you're looking to do in Las Vegas and then we'll talk about what you're looking to do in Orlando in January 2022.
0: Yeah, no, I like your analogy of the faucet. And uh, yeah. looking back on the the holiday weekend back in July after July 4th, I mean, you could just sense the amount of people that were traveling. We actually went on our first vacation as family a long time. Yeah. And just the, the amount of people that were out and about was encouraging. Before we get into the Vegas show, I'll say we we're uniquely suited at a time here too, where shows are starting to come back. And you mentioned the pent-up demand. Reed Exhibitions has had several shows come back. And absolutely the feeling of camaraderie, the feeling of excitement in terms of getting back together and being at a show, it's amazing. It's palpable. People have had, people have had emotional experiences returning to shows. So people sure. want to get back. They miss their colleagues. They miss the networking opportunities. There's things you just can't replicate in a virtual world. So we've had a couple of events come back. They've done really, really well. There's been other events in other industries that have also um, had more attendance than they had in 19, which has been really, really encouraging. You see the sporting events where some stadiums now are filled to capacity or and you can just sense the enthusiasm, how excited people are, are to be back in person. You know, There's concerts coming back. So people are ready, people are ready to get back, but at the same time, you still have to make people feel confident about the health and safety parameters that are in place. For the Vegas show, talking about trying new things, we felt it was a great opportunity to try something different. As you know from attending our events, we have a series of one-to-one events, which are more focused one-to-one meetings. We thought we can expand those. And also, it's a really important time for the apparel industry in terms of there's a lot of buying that's going on for the spring season coming up next year. And it was just a great time to bring apparel companies together with PGA pros and buyers. So, We moved the event to the JW Marriott. It's only open to buyers and PGA professionals. We have a curated group of exhibitors. And we wanted to offer a really different kind of more high-end experience that combines education, combines those one-to-one meetings, but also open times for other meetings. So uh, the PGA Show Buying and Education Summit is the new name for that event. And it's just a very different event focused on buying and education. Again, with a more limited attendance, a more limited number of exhibitors really focused on fashion apparel and apparel accessories.
1: Got it. Got it. So as I finish up here, why don't you tell us what's going to go on in the future? Because I know with your planning cycle, you're planning. I know it's been hard to plan even months ahead because you didn't know where the goalposts are moving. But the goalposts, fingers crossed, seem to be uh, firmly planted in the ground here that you will have a hybrid event in January of 2022 for the Orlando PJ Merchandise Show. So tell us about that, where you are kind of line in the sand right now, what your aspiration and vision is for that show.
0: Absolutely. The industry is excited to be back face-to-face and in person. So we're looking at it as an in-person event with a hybrid digital component. We talked about our virtual event in 2021, and we had tremendous support from the industry. We had an amazing number of PGA professionals and buyers participate in education, connect with exhibitors via the marketplace. Overwhelmingly, though, after, and I read every response on our surveys that we send out, I would say 75% or more of them were referenced. I miss being there in person. I right. miss touching and feeling the product. I miss testing the equipment. I, I miss running into you know my colleague, walking the aisles. They love the education component to the show, but they really missed being there in person. So our strategy or our approach going into Orlando this year is to really take the best of what we learn from digital and virtual and enhance the face-to-face experience. So we have a number of new things planned, some things I can talk about, some I can't. But I think one of the biggest opportunities coming off of our digital event and from other events as well is that the educational content being able to record that and even some of the experiences with the PGA forum stage presentations and offer those on demand after the event for those that couldn't make it or for those that were there. Seth, while the PGA president, even one of his quotes post virtual event was that he always, you know, oftentimes needs to be in five places at once at the show or more. I sometimes need to be in 20 places at the same time from the attendees that are very engaged in education you know, they would oftentimes have to make the decision, do I participate in this education session, but miss out on this other session going on or the show floor. So we've been able to really recreate the schedule to have a lot less conflicts with education and the show floor, so that our buyers, our PGA professionals, SAF, myself can spend the majority of their time on the show floor with exhibitors. But so so I think more importantly than ever this year, there's a great opportunity for the industry to grow and being able to allow attendees and our pros and buyers to connect with exhibitors is really gonna be at the forefront of our planning. Education is still really important. MSR credits for PGA pros and the learning, that is absolutely critical as well, but we don't wanna force people to have to choose between one or the other. So being able to program in a different way, have less overlap, and then have people be able to access that education and some of that content after the show, I think it's really gonna be a significant improvement. And that's just one of many things that we have planned heading into Orlando 2022.
1: Nice, well, I can't wait to hear some more as you reveal those over time. Hopefully you'll have the Tuesday Demo Day again, because I love that. So I
0: I mean, absolutely, we think, you know, as we mentioned before, Demo Day being an outdoor event, a product testing event, we think we can add more of a fitting component to the event. That absolutely is happening. We also heard this from the survey, things that people remember and that they love about the show, we're not going to blow those things up. Demo Day, the PGA Partner, or the PGA Member Business Center, the Equipment Test Center, there's things that are really important to our exhibitors and to our attendees. We'll improve and enhance those things, but we want people to be able to experience all that they loved about the show previously, but enhance the show in, in many new and different ways, including potentially a new look and feel as you walk into the main entrance. So could be some really cool stuff and we're hard at work planning for an amazing in-person event in 22.
1: Well, I can't wait for the big reveal. I know you have to keep that uh, close to your chest at the moment, but that's okay. And hopefully you continue because, of course, the podcast here is involved, and I am personally, in the entrepreneurship and the innovation space across the golf industry. So hopefully that even gets amplified and would love, once again, to cover or even participate in that. So if that's a component, let's yeah. keep the conversation going, Mark, because you know now more than ever that, as they say, during recessions or downtimes, that's the time to innovate. That's the time to come out the other side and... Hit the ground running. So, and I know you have supported that in the past. So, hopefully, yeah. that's one piece you're going to amplify. <laughs> that's a huge
0: community. Again, the number one reason attendees attend either a virtual or an in person show is to see what's new and the education. So, you are not going to lose those things. We've already had a tremendous amount of new company support. We're continuing with the inventors area. We think the show is a great conduit, a great forum for innovators, for new companies, and for new products. So, that will absolutely be a huge focus of our team. And for the industry heading into the event, so. Good stuff. I'm sure you'll be excited to help support that
1: absolutely absolutely well hey why don't we end it there i have lots more questions i'm just getting ramped up here and excited but we do want to jump on a video call because of course we'll create some content for our mod golf youtube channel so we of course want to mix that up so it's some different content different questions different angles so of course our listeners here we want to encourage them to go over and become viewers over there and vice versa so we're not going to have that same conversation so i'm going to hold tight there so before we finish up here perhaps you can Tell us where they can find out more information about all the good things you do with the PGA Shows and where they can uh, find out on social media what you're up to.
0: Show.com has all the information for the Orlando Show coming up in 2022. Pgalasvegas.com, um, you can either get a recap or get information on attending if you're still looking to attend that event. And virtual.pgashow.com has our PGA Show Connects content on demand everything that we've had over the past six months is accessible so appreciate that colin we appreciate your support of the events and your support and everything you're doing for the industry thank you so much for having me
1: absolutely mark it's my pleasure it's great seeing you again my friend and uh Looking forward to jumping on our, uh, our video call here in just a minute. So as I always do, all of those website links that you mentioned there, I will include those in the show notes to make it nice and easy for all of our listeners to check out what you're doing, what you have done, and what you're doing as Read Exhibitions completely reimagines their business model. But we'll leave it at that. So once again... Mark Simon, Vice President of PGA Show Exhibitions, who looks after the PGA shows with Reed Exhibitions. Mark, it's good to see you again. Thanks for joining me today on the Mod Golf Podcast. Thanks, Colin. Take care. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mark Simon, Event Vice President with PGA Golf Exhibitions. We recorded this episode a couple of weeks before the PGA of America and PGA Golf Exhibitions released an update on 2022 in-person PGA Show enhancements. So I wanted to mention how they are progressing with PGA Show initiatives to refresh and grow the 69th annual flagship event, January 25th to 28th, 2022 in Orlando. Current enhancements for the 2022 PGA Show include creating a new PGA of America hub on the show floor that invites attendees to enter a full-scale golf activation area featuring a PGA Frisco Headquarters 2022 opening preview, promoting the Make Golf Your Thing campaign, along with staging PGA professional coaching demonstrations and providing a PGA professional lounge and PGA career services. They'll be reimagining the equipment test center to feature technology enhancements on the indoor driving range, while relocating the practice putting green and short game test area to create one centralized golf product testing and experiential space. They'll emphasize club fitting education during the event's traditional demo day, They'll also enhance technology access on-site and integrating digital platforms to positively impact product discovery, testing, purchasing, and education. They will continue to focus on sustainability initiatives, along with health and well-being practices during the PGA Show events. Additional details on enhancements will continue to be announced leading up to the 2022 PGA Show. Event details and early registration information is available at pgashow.com. And follow hashtag PGA show on social channels for ongoing event announcements. The video link for my extended conversation with Mark is also on the episode show page. And please subscribe to our ModGolf YouTube channel while you're there. If you leave a comment, I promise to respond. Please join me next time when my guest is Jihei Lee, co-founder and CEO of Sportsbox.ai. I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor partners, Golf Genius Software and British Columbia Golf, for helping make the ModGolf podcast happen. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from golf's brightest innovators and influencers. Our friends at Golf Genius Software have added a new digital scorecard option to their live scoring capabilities of its tournament management platform. So if you're a golf course owner or operator, I suggest you check them out at golfgenius.com to find out how they can reduce your workload, help you have more fun, and generate more revenue. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you'd like to listen in. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.